Um, we're just going to look at God's word together just for a few minutes. David's already prayed, so I'll, I'll just sort of launch um, straight in. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8. Uh, we've already had it read out to us. Um, but I just want to start by talking about fear. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but often I find myself over the years frightened of many things. I won't list them all because it's quite a long list. And, uh, but fear is a, a terrible emotion, isn't it? Of all the things you feel in life, I think fear is probably right up there as one of the most debilitating emotions that you can have. Um, we often don't talk about fear, we talk about phobias, don't we? Because that's somehow more palatable. Um, we put up with our phobias, we don't deal with them. We deal with our fears, but we kind of accept that we might have a, a phobia. But we can be scared of many things. You could have a, a fear of public speaking. Rachel Millett may well have uh, felt a fear of public speaking, wherever she is. I think she's gone home. <laughs> Perhaps it was that, it was that bad. Um, but sometimes people have a fear of this thing here and, and facing all of you. You are quite scary. Um, you don't realise it. But it's quite, some people are scared of public speaking. Some people have a fear of heights. Um, I've got a picture here that may or may not send your stomach into all sorts of different areas. Eventually. There we are. Yeah, sorry. So you can imagine, you know, a part of me wants to just sort of Go and grab his arm and pull him back. Uh, so there he is taking, uh, well, I forget what they call it, some, something selfie, dangerous selfie or crazy selfie or something. And there's a whole group of people that, that do things like that and they stand on the edge of buildings and take a, a selfie like that. Um, it can be fatal, but there we are. So you might have a fear of heights. Uh, you may have a fear of failure. Uh, for some people, they're so frightened of failure that they refuse to do anything that's even slightly dangerous. Some people have a fear of commitment. And they're just some of the examples. You take that off, Pete, thanks. Uh, just some of the examples of where fear can rob us of the privilege of living life to the full. You see, God has given us a real privilege called life. It's a privilege to be alive. It's a wonderful thing to be able to interact with each other and, and explore the world and actually live. It's brilliant. Yet fear robs us of that privilege so often. Somebody once said that the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown. Somebody else wrote that fear stifles our thinking and actions. It creates indecisiveness that results in stagnation. I've known talented people who procrastinate indefinitely rather than risk failure. Lost opportunities cause erosion of confidence and the downward spiral begins. Maybe in your own life you've recognised you've had dreams and passions and you've not done it because you're worried it might go wrong and it might go horribly wrong for your reputation or whatever and you just feel bad for not doing it. Some of you here this morning will know that stagnation of failure. It happens in lots of different areas. In relationships it happens. It happens to our dreams and our visions. It happens in our careers. But fear needn't hold us back this morning. Fear can actually be defeated. And that is brilliant news. That is absolutely spectacular news. And see, for the Christian, me as a Christian, I live under a fantastic truth that is complete opposite of all the things I've just said about fear. We're in Romans chapter 8, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul, the writer, uh, inspired by God, says this, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
You see, once somebody decides to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, the spirit of fear that once ruled you, once enslaved you, the Bible speaks of people being uh, captive to the fear of death. Once you accept Jesus, that fear, that spirit of fear is replaced by his Holy Spirit, the spirit of sonship and being in God's family. And things are different. Did you know that there are 366 Bible verses that start with the phrase, do not fear or fear not. See, God is so clever that he even did it so for the leap year that would come much later. Every day, even a leap year, God says to his people, fear not. Because fear is what holds us back. Hence the reason that when the uh, writers of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, wrote their now famous legendary travel guide for the universe, they emblazoned on it with the two words designed to calm everybody. Don't panic. If you've not seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, well, I'll need to pray for you because it's fantastic and you're missing out on a huge treat. Uh, Anyway, I won't make a lot of jokes about that. But there we are. If you were to travel around the universe and you knew what I was talking about, that would be really funny. If you've not seen it, I apologize. But you should go home and watch it. Anyway, I want to tell you a story about fear. Uh, During the initial stages where they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, apparently they built it um, in two stages. The first stage uh, they built with no safety devices whatsoever. And over the course of however many months or years, the first half of the building of that great bridge, 23 men fell to their deaths. 23 men died. But in, the final, and in that first stage, productivity fell through the floor because people were terrified. They were frightened of losing their lives. And they clung on and didn't work as hard as they could have done. And when they got to the final stage, they racked their brains. How can we make it safe? And so they built a ginormous net uh, that went all the way across where the men were working. And for that final stage, ten men fell off the Golden Gate Bridge. And ten men didn't die from falling off the Golden Gate Bridge. They were plucked from the net and they were made safe. And as they put that net up, productivity on the Golden Gate Bridge went up by 25%. Why? Because those men had an assurance that they were safe and their fear was gone. They could work wholeheartedly for that project. You see, when you feel secure in life, you thrive at whatever you do. And that's why false fear is so sad. And I wonder, what is holding you back this morning? What fears are anchoring your life from living it to the full? Is anxiety the force that guides you most? Well, life needn't be like that. Our message this morning from Romans chapter 8 is all about the effect of knowing God and his love and the effect of God's love in robbing us, not of our life, but robbing us of our fear and replacing it with a wonderful, life-changing confidence. Wouldn't it be great to be able to stare into the lion's den, to look down the barrel of the gun with nothing but confidence that whatever happens, you're safe? Wouldn't it be great to have no fear at no time, at any point? Much like the Golden Gate Bridge, when we grasp the unyielding love of God in Christ Jesus, our sense of security increases and we approach life much differently. Uh, a missionary who I've uh, seen at a Christian camp a few times in his book uh, titled More Than Conquerors, he writes of uh, driving through a particularly dodgy part of Burundi. And, uh, and as he drives through Burundi with him and his friend, um, where just the day before people had been killed 
um, by terrorists and gangsters, gangsters um, bandits, that kind of thing. They turned to each other, and his friend said to him, do you know we're immortal? And he said, what on earth do you mean? And he said, because until that moment God calls us home, nothing can touch us. How awesome is that? He has such confidence in the will of God and the love of God that until God said it was time to go home, time to die, no one had any control over their life. That's the kind of confidence that you have when you know God's love in your life. Romans chapter 8, uh, which we're going to look at now, uh, is a very familiar chapter to many Christians. If you're not a Christian, you've never read it. Uh, it's a real fantastic chapter to read uh, if you've got a Bible. If you haven't got a Bible, talk to me afterwards and I'll give you one to take home. Uh, and it's a fantastic chapter. It talks about the life we have in Christ and how we live through the power of the Holy Spirit. The chapter explains how we're free from the law in the Old Testament and we're made alive through Jesus Christ. How that before Christ and the Holy Spirit, we couldn't please God. We were hostile towards him. But now in Jesus Christ, our spirits have been made alive on the inside and we know God fully. Paul, as he writes chapter 8, is challenging his readers to live not as they were before, according to their sinful nature, but to live according to their new nature, given by the Holy Spirit. And that's our constant challenge as Christians, isn't it? To follow the Holy Spirit and not our old ways. The old ways, before we knew Jesus, are always pulling at us. Anger, pride, envy, always pulling us back to what we were. And Paul says, this is what you are now. You're no longer a slave to that old way of life. Live according to the Spirit. Our passage uh, that starts in verse 28 all the way to 39 comes at the end of this amazing chapter and is the grand climax to it. You see, after gazing at the cross, as Paul thinks about the cross and Easter, the doctrine of salvation, in these verses he erupts into a whole outburst of praise. He's praising God for um, the strength and security he feels in Jesus Christ. The certainty, the life that comes from knowing Jesus, his Lord and Saviour, just kind of explodes into prayer, into praise. Some people title this section as simply the triumphant life. And that's what we are as Christians, isn't it? We're not a people of defeat. We're not a people of loss or, or failure. We're a people of victory. We're a people of strength. We're a people of power. We're a people who aren't frightened of the darkness, not frightened of the evil, because we know the one who overcame darkness and overcame evil. We're we're not a people of victory that's ours. It's not our victory. It's not our strength. It's not our power. But the Savior who lives in us and works through us. We are not weak, feeble people as Christians. We are strong in our God. I want to tell you a story Um, You may have heard of a guy called George Verver who started something called Teen Challenge in the 1950s in New York. And uh, he basically went this little village preacher with no city experience whatsoever. The last person you thought would ever go and work with gangs in New York. Proper gangs who were killing each other uh, and doing all sorts of terrible things to each other in the city. And he felt called by God to give it all up and go to New York. And he did this amazing work. And one of the first young people who found Jesus Christ through George Verver was a guy called Nicky Cruz, which is a fantastic name. Gary Hansen is so boring compared to Nicky Cruz. I'm going to change it, in fact, to Gary Cruz. Is that better? That sounds good, anyway. And, uh, and Nicky Cruz was a former gang member. He'd killed people. He'd taken drugs. He'd robbed. He'd stole. He'd done all sorts of terrible things. But finding Jesus completely transformed his life. And one day, as he was walking down the same streets 
as George Verva, meeting gang members. Somebody from his gang, his former gang, came up to him, got his flick knife out, said, I'm going to kill you, you traitor. What would you feel at that point? Now, legs would be like that, wouldn't they? You'd be thinking, oh, I've got to be brave. All that stuff about being tough. Anyway, and he said, he spoke to this guy, and this guy said, I'm going to chop you up, you traitor. You've gone all religious on us. And Nicky Cruz looked at him and he said, you can chop me into a thousand pieces, but every single one of those pieces will love you and want you to know Jesus. How brave is that? I couldn't do that. Or maybe I could. But what an amazing guy, because he was so secure that not just his life, his death and his eternity were in the hands of Almighty God, that even in death, he spoke love into that guy's life. He put the knife down, he became a Christian And the rest is history. God was his safety net and he felt no fear. Wouldn't it be awesome to approach your life like that guy, Nicky Cruz? Not being stabbed, but everything. Things at work, things at home, things that happen to you physically. To have that confidence that you can say, whatever happens, I trust in God. So let's look at um, these verses that Dave read out earlier on. See, Paul thought about the cross all the time, and as he thinks about the cross, he bursts out in praise to God. And seeing God's love and God's strength, he says something in verse 31 that is frankly amazing. Paul says, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hang on a minute, that's mad, isn't it? Listen to that again. If God is for us, who can be against us if God is on our side who dares come against God's people who can be against you if God is for you right there is the heart of the Christian strength and the Christian hope this is the privilege by which we live every single day if God is for me who or what can be against me and then he just lists all the things that try and be against him as if to say none of these can ever come against me. He says in verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And he says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, Not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Paul looks at all those things that hurt us in life, that attack us, all the things that people are frightened to death over. And it just says, because God is on my side, those things are powerless. What an amazing way to live your life, not even frightened of death. But that's what it's like to be a Christian. You see, nothing can condemn us. Nothing can oppose us. Nothing can accuse us. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? This world is full of people that seek to point the finger. You're this. You're that. You've done that. How dare you? But if God is for you, who can condemn you? Who can accuse you? Who can be against you? 
Paul looks across that list. He's already experienced most of those things. He's just reeled off. He'd been in prison. He'd been beaten up. He'd been rejected. He'd been uh, treated awfully and lied about. Yet his strength and his confidence and courage never failed. Because for him, God's love was his safety net. And when trouble came and threatened him, all he needed to do was look down and see the hands of his God ready to catch him, even if he should fall. And this is our reality as Christians, and it is wonderful. Some of you here this morning need to trust again, need to be determined to trust again that God is your safety net, that he will not let you down, that whatever you're going through, if you put your faith and trust in him, these hands, his hands, will not let you go. He is the rock and your fortress in times of trouble. In fact, in that same chapter, uh, Paul says something that's a very famous verse that many Christians like. He says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We need to trust that God knows the good that we need. doesn't mean that life is always happy and jolly. Things go wrong, even for Christians. But God works things out for his purposes, and his purposes are always good. And so why does Paul feel so confident? Why does Paul feel so courageous? Why has he got such a sense of safety? Well, there's three really quick things. The first is verse 28 to 30. And it's to do with the nature of how we're saved. It says, uh, what I've just read, For God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined he also called those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We haven't got time to go through those uh, couple of verses, but what that, that little bit there, verse 28 to 30, is saying that everything that happens to you in Jesus Christ is a work of God. You see, every other religion on the planet preaches that you work for your salvation. You make yourself right with God. You earn the right to be right before God. And the only problem with that is that if your God is perfect, you've already failed you will never be good enough. Yet Christianity preaches a ridiculous message that's completely different, that you're made right with God because Jesus Christ is perfect. Salvation belongs to our God. Salvation is a gift to those who accept it by faith. You can't earn the right to be right. You accept what Jesus has done in your place. So we're saved by grace. We're saved by God's love. And as Paul thinks about that, He realised that if God is for him and God has been gracious towards him, then no one can take his salvation from him. Not even death can separate him from God's love. The second reason he feels so confident is the way God has saved us. Verse 32 to 33. He did not, he who did not spare his own son, but gave himself, gave him up for us all. How would he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen it is God who justifies Paul's security is bound up by this intensely personal moment in history when God's own son was nailed to a cross for his salvation salvation in Christian terms isn't some endless ritual some mechanical process where you tick enough boxes and God's happy with you nonsense salvation is intensely personal. God gives his son, allows him to be killed, nailed to a cross, so that we can be forgiven. And Paul thinks if he's that generous that he gives his only son, 
He's never, ever going to move away from me if that's how much he loves me. And the third reason he feels so confident is where Jesus is right now. He says, um, Jesus Christ, who died, verse 34, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Jesus is not some dead religious guy uh, that we just sort of admire through history. He's alive. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to heaven. And Paul says there that Jesus is at the right hand of God. And what he is doing from now into the end of eternity, this doesn't actually end, is talking to God, a holy God, about his people and saying, they're okay, they're okay, they're okay. Interceding for us when we do wrong. And actually, the reason Paul realizes nothing can condemn him is because of all the people on this planet, the one person that would have the right to condemn us would be God himself. Yet when God sent his son on the cross, he, he moved away from wanting to condemn us. And when we trust in Jesus, that condemnation went and we were given forgiveness and life. And so no one else could ever condemn God's people because God has made us right. And so, let me ask you a question as we finish then. Are you frightened? Are you scared? In fact, can you put the picture up of the uh, guy on the roof again? Sorry. (laughs) Think about your life this week. Think about what's going on in your head right now. What are the things that you're going through that make you feel like the guy standing on the edge? It might be a, a problem in your relationships. It might be something at work. It might be your finances. It might be your health. It might just be a fear of getting older. A fear of what might happen to you. Well, I'm here to tell you that you do not need to live your life in fear. See, for the Christian, the edge holds no more fear than the middle. Because God is God of every space I could possibly stand. If God is for you, then no one can be against you. You needn't live life in your own strength. You needn't live life trying to not be frightened and being brave. You just need to trust in the love of an almighty God who loved you before you were born. And just know that you are safe in that love because his hands are the only safety net that you need. Let's pray. Father God, we just lift up these words to you this morning. Lord, we thank you that you do love us. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us your one and only son. The Lord, when he was nailed to that cross, that was the moment. That was the turning point. And Lord, when we know the one who has destroyed death and sin and evil, Lord, when we know him as our saviour, then Lord, nothing can actually ever come against us. Lord, there is evil in the world, we know that. But Lord, you are the victor. You are the conqueror of those things. Lord, there is a day coming when there will be no more evil, there will be no more darkness, because Jesus will return. And we are his people. And Lord, we needn't be frightened of those days before he returns. And Lord, for anyone here this morning that feels full of fear, may they know, Lord, that they needn't live every day with that shadow hanging over their head. You come to give freedom to all who would trust in you. And I pray they would know that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.